Good morning. Welcome to another episode of Thursday Mornings with Alex and Don, where Pastor Don answers all of your questions from theology, parenting, and whether he can tell if you're sleeping in church. Enjoy. Please like and subscribe. Morning. Good morning. How are you doing? I'm doing great. We're finally getting some warm weather. Yes, we are. Too warm for ice fishing. Yeah. We were going to do that last night. Yes. I'm sorry. That's all right. We had a Ash Wednesday service, so it was... We would have been out there at like 8.30. Well, it would have been cool because we would have been... Oh, it would have been cool. We would have been true. the last people. We would be the farthest south people probably still ice fishing. Yeah. But uh, we would have been able to mark it and note it the date. Oh, yeah. Yep. I mean, there was much later years for it. But that's okay. So. I wasn't quite that brave. I'm sorry, bud. Oh, there's like eight inches of ice. It would fine. You would have got there and you would have said, there's open water right there. I'm like, yes. it's fine, Don. Just jump over it. I do not swim well. Okay. We would probably have to. Well, we would have been pretty, well, like, we would have been pretty shallow, but uh, we had all the safety. I had all the safety equipment. But like I said, it would have been late. So that's okay. Another time. Next year. Sure. <laughs> um, I need some personal advice. Okay. Oh, and you're going to put it on Facebook. Uh, yeah, for all of you to hear. Uh, yeah, okay. Yep, yep. So my wife and I are having this argument. No, I'm just kidding. Um, well, actually, we've been, we've been talking about, you know, next kid. When's mm-hmm. that going to happen, right? Mm-hmm. And so I look at some of the families on her side of the family, and they got some twins. Yeah. And it's that third pregnancy, it's twins. And she keeps, she keeps saying, her family keeps saying, oh yeah, then next she'll have the twin girls, and then everything. I'm like, <sighs> and I've always just thought, let's just adopt a kid. Come on, let's just adopt a kid. And so I was kind of qu- wondering, the adoption process, and like loving that child, like is it different? Oh, it is different in a way, and yet it's special in a way that's, that's different than birth. Uh, a lot of fun, you know, sure. the preparation for birth and, and all that going on that makes birth happen. That's always good stuff. The other side of the coin is when you adopt a child, and of course Charlene and I planned our family because of her health in part. Uh, so we wanted a biological child, an adopted child, okay. a biological child, an adopted child, because we wanted to make sure our adopted children felt as much a part of our family sure. as any other, and they wouldn't feel like an appendage to our family. Um, so I, I really am in favor of adoption. Sure. The thing about the adoption is it takes about twice to three times as long as a pregnancy. Really? Yeah. And then the second piece is you're given the privilege of, at least we were given the privilege of looking at these little children and saying which one we were, we didn't hear them. We didn't hold them or anything like that, but we prayed over these pictures as to which ones would be ours. Okay. Which was interesting uh, to say, to have a choice. Sure. And so we chose our children that we adopted. We, we also lived into that process of bringing them home. Mm-hmm. And I'll never forget Adrian. Adrian came to our house over the same weekend that I went and married my sister. You know, I, to my brother-in-law, of course. And so... <laughs> 
that that was the weekend that Adrian came, and then when Jeff came, he came to Kansas City, and we drove up, and it was a terribly hot day. Okay. So we all had ice cream, and we all remember Jeff having his first taste of ice cream. Sure. And taking the curly cue right off the cone. Oh yeah. Even mm-hmm. at six months old. Yeah. So it's a special process. Okay. And it's it's uh, something that you could. I guess I liken it to what uh, Paul talks about when God adopts us okay. into his family. Sure. And we become joint heirs with Jesus. Mm-hmm. I believe that's the beginning of uh, Romans 8. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes, didn't know if there was any sort because, you know, like when I, my kids come out, you know, I can see myself in them. I mean, granted, they all. Both of them have their mom's eyes. Right, but everybody sees you in those boys. Oh, that's good. Yes. Yeah, I can definitely tell them their personalities for sure. Yes. Um, Charlie's never as excited to just run around and tear up the place as he is when he's at church. It's interesting. Oh, okay. So he's like you. You enjoy church too, and yeah, he does too. And yeah. Right? Must be part of it. Must be part of it in the yeah. DNA. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, those are, that's an interesting prospect, you know. Yeah. Yeah. I, I always like seeing just the, like the parents kind of struggling a little bit with the kid that's a little bit too loud, but I like seeing it. Especially when the mm-hmm. parents try to be like, hey, hey, and try to corral the kids a little bit, and the kid just goes AWOL, just yeah. runs off. Mm-hmm. That's exciting. Not saying that your but you sermons know, aren't exciting, but... No, it's a lot more exciting than those sermons. <laughs> and, and the thing that is neat in the congregation is we appreciate hearing the, the children. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Because then it's just, otherwise it's just us old guys. and We, we can pretty well stay quiet. Yeah. Until we start snoring, of course. But we can pretty well stay quiet. Well, I was always told to stay quiet. There's always times where I want to like raise my hand and ask a question during the sermons, but... Huh. wonder how that worked. Yeah, then people might be doing it all the time. You might not want that. Right. But you've got this mode that's now. You can point. ask your questions this way. And, that's a good and, point. And, yeah. Yeah. We could say we set this up to keep the questions down during the service. We could yeah. say that. Uh, yeah. That works. Um, so today I wanted to talk about, talk about and ask about um, what does the Bible say about like differences in interpretations? So like interpretations of the Bible... Um, like, we can even bring that into, like, political differences. Like, what does the Bible say about, you know, the government and the kingdoms and the stuff? Like, how are we to interact within those? Does that make sense? Right, okay. and it talks about that. You, you've got the, the Romans uh, 14 piece, but you also got uh, Peter talking about it as well. It's more of a, a we are aliens in a strange land. And so uh, we sojourn here. Uh, Paul would say it like uh, in in Romans chapter 13. Uh, Do you want to be free from the fear of authority? Then do what's right, and he will commend you. For he is God's servant to you, to do good, servant to do you good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, because he does not bear a sword for nothing. So it it's as if we have a reverence, uh, uh, maybe a reverence, but we recognize the authority of the governments, and Paul would even say it to the point that they're put in place for a reason by God. Some of us might disagree with that, of course, and, and that would be your interpretation. Yes, 
But if you go back in the Old Testament and uh, look at Isaiah and Jeremiah, they would point out that God used uh, Assyria to punish his people, to get his people back in line. So it goes as far as if we believe the prophetic, prophetic voices of the Old Testament, then we have to understand that God's beyond all government and he's really working at the interest of his people to make sure they're awake and in tune to what his kingdom is about. Okay. And that's a theme that's common from all the Old Testament right up through Revelation. Okay. So he's kind of using everything to either bring us back, shepherd us on the way. Okay. Shepherd us, yes. Okay. Yeah, he's always wondered how, how much God does intervene. And we've talked about that tons before. Mm -hmm. So it's interesting to see that he would, yeah, I don't know. But some of the things that some other governments do are, it would, it would be hard for me to believe that God's hand was a part of that. Well, he still gives us free. Even within that realm, he gives each individual freedom to decide. Sure. And that freedom of choice then reflects more our heart as individuals than it does uh, systems. Okay. We fit within systems, but we always have the choice to choose beyond our system. So in the midst of... Uh, uh, Bit that, uh, oh, uh, the name slips me. Uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer. So, in the midst of Dietrich Bonhoeffer's time in Germany, so at one point he could sort of say and, and rise up against what the German government was doing, but then that wasn't easy to do because of the Nazis were pretty powerful. Mm -hmm. So, he left the country, came to the United States, and then realized he needed to be there to speak against what was going on. And of course, just before. Uh, the end of the war, he was uh, martyred. But he lived, he, he knew the system, he knew what was going on, he tried to speak against it at one point, wasn't able to, left the country and came back. All that on his decision. He could have been all, like all the other ministers that were in Germany at that time and say, well, this is, you know, what our world is doing, this is yeah. our authority, we need to live into the authority. And then he didn't. Okay. I'm still struggling with how God would be like the Assyrians because they killed people, right? Yeah. That's sort of his choice, right? So how, I don't, how can we attribute him using them to move his people back in line? Because then when we'd be saying that, like I said, God was using them to do that, but he wasn't using them to kill people, but obviously that's what they were doing? Well, ultimately, that, that is... Uh... We take life and death much differently than they did in the Old Testament. Sure. Sure. But isn't that kind of just like picking... I'm just pushing back a little bit. Yeah, I'm sure. It's saying, good. And, and it, it's really hard for us to grasp. Yeah. Because as we look at the Old Testament and, and the prophecies of the Old Testament and how they play out, God's working with a group of people. Yeah. And we tend to think more one person at a time. Right. It's kind of feels like we're attributing. Okay, here we go. It seems like we're just attributing all the good things to God based on every action, mm -hmm. right? Kind of like why we make statues of, say, George Washington or 
any one of those other founding fathers that had, you know, or Columbus Day, you know, the horrible atrocities that we know Columbus did. Now. Now we know. But we still hold him in high regards because of the great things that he had done. Is that kind of what we're doing with God? I mean, are we overlooking the things that we would say were... I I would like to raise him above those things because these are things we understand. Yeah. But I don't know that we fully understand the authority of God. Okay. And so, okay, the Sermon Sunday. And when we look at how he dealt with Job. Okay. And there's Satan waltzing around God's Mm -hmm. uh, royal court, if you will. Sure. And, And do we think about Satan walking in God's royal court of authority? That's not how we think of it. We think of polar opposites, yeah. God and Satan. Yeah. In that situation, though, we see God actually allowing Satan a certain amount of authority, if you will, so that the faith of Job is pointed out and proven. Mm-hmm. Beyond a shadow of doubt, by the end of chapter 42, we realize that Job not only is a good man, seeking God, holy, if you will, but he's also got the reality that he isn't all that great compared to God. Okay. And so the moral of that story is God even will use Satan within Satan's realm to prove a point. Sure. That makes sense. So when you're talking about peoples and you're talking about Syria and Babylon and how they pressed against the the Jews at that point, there was an overall plan to what God was doing. Part of it was discipline. Yeah. Because they messed up royal. Sure. And their royal mess up was proven to all the people around them. Just like when we, you know, this week we're going into the first book of Joshua. We're seeing that God's working really hard with this disobedient group of people to prove that he loves them and wants them in a special spot that we today call the Holy Holy Land. Mm -hmm. And they still work against it. We'll find that out. Yep, yep. And is that any different than we are? No, it's not. It's not. I'm just trying to wrap my head around how God's using, like we obviously see the value he puts in, you know, the temptations and uh, not the band, but the, the temptations we have every day. Um, you slipped that really. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> thanks. Yeah, I'm getting good at this. Um, but I have a hard, sometimes I have a hard time linking how he, the difference between how he's using the temptations and the evils in our life and how he is constructing them. Because it doesn't make sense that, to me, that he actually has a hand placing those temptations, right? So, is he the second act? Is he seeing what the devil is doing, and then he says, so you're doing, I know what you're trying to do is terrible, and I'm going to make it into something good? Or is he actually putting all this in place? Because he is seeking some of the power, you know, to Satan, but... I, I would I would raise God above this. What do you mean? In other words, he's the grand architect. Sure. He knows pretty much your heart 
in and out. He knows my heart in and out. He knows where we're vulnerable to Satan. Mm -hmm. No, Satan wants to do. Yeah. Because Satan is, his role is to deter us from what God wants sure. in our lives. So God's over all this. Satan's prodding. Mm -hmm. And God knows. Sure. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, it says he's not going to tempt us beyond what we're able to, to take. And I believe Paul's right. Okay. So, so God knows it all. And he wants the very best for us. In that atmosphere, we still have the choice to choose for God's will or our own which may be tainted by sin. Okay. Fair enough. It's still, he's he is the one painting in the grander colors. Yeah. Yeah, I understand that. I mean, God knows from the day he creates us, you know, that we will suffer. So it's, he is putting into a, us into a world where we will be tested. So I understand that whole architectural structure above it. You know, he knows that we will suffer. He knows it will be tested. He also knows that we have the opportunity to confess and find forgiveness in him. Yeah. And totally, I mean, the, the, the biggest evidence I see of the movement of the Holy Spirit in mankind is when I see lives totally transformed yeah. by the Holy Spirit. And those transformed lives are the ones that I say, wow. That is the power of God at work. Mm -hmm. And I think that God also has the ability to transform families. Sure. I think he has the, the ability to transfer churches and communities and even nations. Cool. Oh, he definitely does. Yeah. I, I just think we limit the power of God. Yeah. Way too much. Yeah, I understand. We, we that. want him to make him a little bit small, just a little bit better yeah. than Satan. I mean, just a little bit more powerful than Satan, but we have a hard time imagining a God who could reimagine our lives. Sure. It's it's yeah, we want to put him into that box where we know that we can control how we think about him. That's that is my biggest beef about doing theology. Yeah. Because we're trying to put our finite minds yeah. around an infinite God. Mm -hmm. Let's get real. Yeah. But isn't that kind of part of seeking the truth? It can be. That's as long as we find it as the path sure. of study and that kind of thing. But I found so many theologians who think that their theory, their theology is the theology to end all. Sure. And uh, I found very few of them that really do. Mm-hmm. I mean, at the end of the day, it's still a theory, right? So, like, if you actually look at the scientific, uh, the scientific process, like, if you talk to someone who actually knows, and I know this has been thrown around a ton these days, which you know, believe the science and that kind of stuff. It's, there's not really a, there's no such thing. Oh man, I might get this wrong too, but I went into a pretty good conversation with a friend about it recently. There's no such thing as like scientific fact. Like that's something that is uh, that's pretty vaguely thrown around sometimes because everything is a theory until it gets changed right. until someone looks at it right 
But the fact part of it, that's actually just called observations. So measurements right. that a bunch of people do it's the same way. If it can be replicated, then I see there the, is. Yep. The, uh, the replication of the scientific observations then lead us to believe that is the way this works. Yes. This, this uh, system works. So that's the problem with theories, though, is that you're looking for something that you can objectively attribute to God when we don't fully understand what he's capable of, what he plays a part in, even if we look and say, yeah, he did everything here. Right. It's hard to pinpoint that. So it, it always has to stay a theory. That's why there's so many of them, right? Yeah, yeah. and many of them will be proven wrong. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Because they're ours. Mm -hmm. Okay. We're at 20 minutes, so I got a final question. So backstory. Um, Charlie and I, I tell him a story every night. Sometimes it's all made up, and he always gives me feedback. I'll tell him a story, and uh, sometimes it's, I don't like that story. Mm -hmm. Or he'll say, He is his father's son. Uh, yeah, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, he is. I didn't like that story. Tell me another one. Fine. <laughs> and, and sometimes it'll get to like, okay, three stories, okay? And then I guess, and he's like, yeah, but that first one was... That didn't count. Yeah, that was garbage, Dad. Come on. Um, so he was, as honestly, he'd be like, I like that. That was a good one. And I'm like, yeah, he goes, oh, just a little bit. And then he'll lean over, you know, the railing of the bed and be like, hey, just a little bit. Just a little bit. Just, <laughs> just don't. Like you. Yeah. Right? <laughs> it's... <laughs> he's like, he's like, you know, I said that was a good story, but don't get too ahead of yourself thinking you did a good job. It was just okay, right? So... But we were talking about, we were doing a lot of stories now about Jesus. So sometimes he'll be like, Jesus story, or he'll say tractors, or he'll say dinosaurs. Um, so we do a lot of Jesus stories, and I couldn't figure out how to explain how he made the loaves and fish multiply. Oh, that's a tough one. Yeah. Yeah. Because I wanted to be like, oh, because Jesus is magic. But that's not the right way. How do I, what do I, how do I, what do I say for that? Because Jesus is miraculous. Miraculous. It's a miracle. And, and if you envision the hillside, this is uh, John 6, I think. Uh, that hillside and the, the situation, and he was teaching, and they were hungry, and the boy with the fishes and the loaves. And it, I mean, it's a sack lunch. Right. Because these are not loaves. These are loaves. Yep, yep. And he says, oh, yeah, here. And he blesses it, and then he starts to pass it out. And away they go. Mm -hmm. He passes it out to Andrew, and here's James, and here's John. Now you take that out. And as they went, they had enough. Yeah. So there's no boom. Yeah, here they are. Yeah. Right. It's a miracle that emerges. And it emerges so subtly, nobody really notices yeah, yeah. it out in the crowd until the guy's pick up 12 basketfuls of leftovers. Uh-huh. 12 basketfuls of leftovers out of a sack lunch? Yeah. Say something's happened here. Yeah. But the subtlety of the miracle. Right. And everybody's needs were met. Mm-hmm. Is wild. Mm-hmm. I, I was wondering, like, how, 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 does, how does that miracle look at the time, you know? Was it a boom, or was it... You know, oh, it's just like, you know, like the magicians have that bag and they keep pulling stuff out, pulling stuff out, and they're pulling a ladder out of this tiny little bag. Was it kind of, probably something kind of like that. Obviously, 
obviously not this well stagecraft, but the I would I would put it you know so Andrew has this loaf in his hand uh -huh. and he keeps breaking off for so many people and they, he just keeps breaking he just mm -hmm. keeps breaking Thomas has a fish and he just keeps breaking he just keeps breaking and this is like a chunk of fish yeah well it's this fish is I mean. It probably wasn't sardines in a can. Well, that's what I was wondering. It was like two small fish. Or is that what the song is? Was it, does it say two, two fish? It just says, says two fish. fish. Okay. Okay. That's so just it doesn't say is. how big the fish were. I doubt if they were this big in his sack lunch. That so I, I, you know, yeah, little fish. Mm -hmm. Were they just cutting it off, eating it raw, you think? Well, I wondered, you know, to be in a lunch like that, probably were salted. Oh, of course. You know, already prepared in a way just, you know, by noon it would have been pretty rank. Probably. We could have been fished that morning, but likely it was already salted and prepared that way so that it would be stable in the boy's lunch. Okay. To eat with his dish. Sure. His uh, loaf. Okay. That's what I'll go with when I'll talk to him. Lead that into the miracles mm -hmm. and what he can do in his life and stuff. That should be good. That's the way I look at it. I, you know, because you don't hear a boom, right? When you read that passage and, uh, I think the subtlety of the miracle, and then notice in that passage that Jesus asked them to pick up mm -hmm. what's left over. Yeah, 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 yeah. It wasn't, okay, leftovers, we just throw them. No. no. He asked them to pick up the leftovers, and the proof of the miracle is then at the end, they had more than they ever started with. Right. And I think I'd like for us to be getting to think about Jesus more in the fact that Jesus gives us salvation. Right. That's good stuff. Good he stuff. helps with our need with sin. But our walk with him in, in the Lord, our walk in our Christian life, well, we'll end up with more than we started with. Yeah. The miracle continues. Sure. We also do the uh, Jesus walking on the water. Yes. Can Jesus make me walk on water? I was like, uh, better learn how to swim first? Or... Well, uh, I think what what is striking about the miracles is he always met the people where they were at. Yeah. And where their needs were. Mm hmm So if you're doing it recreational, walking on water, probably ain't gonna happen. Yeah. But I still believe Jesus will show up if it absolutely needs to be. Mm-hmm. Let's go. I'm now also gonna put it to the test and say, you know, unless he invites me out of the boat like he did Peter. Right then I will do my best to keep my eyes on Jesus. Mm -hmm. But other than that, I'm going to uh, not test. Yeah, testing uh, versus trusting. Right. Yeah. Good. Cool. Well, good episode. Good episode. Live episode. Glad everyone that's here. Thank you, Galen and Gloria, for sharing this around, and, and Lamont and Luetta. We, yeah. we know people are getting more connected to us. Sure, sure. Yeah, and if you're having troubles getting someone connected to us, send us a message right. here. Uh, and we still want your questions. Yep, yep, love the questions. Get something different each time and... Spicier. Yeah. That's Not good. that we aren't spicy already. Yeah, yeah, we're trying. We're trying. Yeah. So, all right. Well, thanks everyone for coming. We'll see you guys next week. God bless. Bye, take care.